G'day, and welcome to the Fasting Highway Podcast, the podcast that's all about intermittent fasting. I'm your host, Graham Curry from Perth, Australia. I lost 60 kilograms or 132 pounds living an intermittent fasting lifestyle and successfully maintained that weight loss. I'm also the author of the Amazon category best-selling book, The Fasting Highway, which will give you a great insight into what it's actually like to live it day to day, how to get started, what it's about, what are some of the health benefits that come from it, and how to turn it into a successful long-term lifestyle. In this series of podcasts, you'll be hearing from people from all over the world, from the beginners to the experienced and those that are on the journey. You'll also be hearing from some leaders in the intermittent fasting community, and you'll also be hearing from some past guests as we recheck in to see how they've been going. And thank you for joining us here on the Fasting Highway. Enjoy the show. G'day, and welcome to the Fasting Highway podcast. And this is episode 204, brought to you by our Patreon members community. Without the support of our patrons, we simply could not bring this podcast to you each and every week, commercial free. If you'd like to get behind the podcast and make sure it keeps going, you can do that by going to the link in the show notes there at www.patreon.com forward slash the fasting highway. You can see the benefits that you get back in return, including two Zoom accountability meetings each month in both the Northern and Southern Hemisphere. It's truly been amazing seeing the members in the Patreon community meet up in those Zoom meetings hosted by myself. And to see the progress that they've made with their lifestyle of intermittent fasting has just been amazing. It really has. So if you'd like to get that extra accountability, find some extra bonus podcasts, bonus discussion topics, then come and join us in the Patreon members community. Okay, folks, let's get on with today's show. And I'm going to be speaking with Catherine Sternfels. And Catherine lives in Myrtle Beach in South Carolina in the United States of America. And Catherine's had a really interesting journey in the first six months of her intermittent fasting lifestyle, which we're going to follow up in another six to 12 months time to see where she is. And she's had a lot of trials and tribulations with her weight, as you'll hear about in this podcast. But Catherine has an incredible insight into living this lifestyle. And she really does. And when you hear about the vision boards that she creates and the reasons why, it really resonated with me, and I'm sure it will with you too. But I don't want to spoil Catherine's story, so here she is to tell it, the amazing Catherine Sternfels. Oh, g'day, Catherine, and welcome to the Fasting Highway podcast, and thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Graham. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolute pleasure to have you here, Catherine. I can't tell you how inspiring you are to our Fasting Highway community and our Patreon group and your progress over the last sort of six months to a year has just been amazing that we've all followed. But you're here to tell your story today. So, Catherine, for the people that don't know you out there in over 53 countries around the world, if you wouldn't mind just sharing a bit of your backstory and your sort of health issues and weight issues, and what led you up to finding out about intermittent fasting? Well, I'd like to start off by telling you that I'm 65 years old and I'm uh, five foot one. My highest weight that I ever remember seeing on the scale was 250 pounds. After that, I didn't even look. And I, I, at some point, perhaps 20 years ago, settled into a range of 230 to 239. And um, I've been there at least for the last 20 years. And what my health issues were that I've had three joint replacements related to osteoarthritis. Um, high blood pressure, hypercholesterolemia, 
and I just I didn't feel good I was embarrassed I just I couldn't you know move certain positions like put your shoes on or what things like that um, and then I went to my cousin's daughter's wedding in 2019 and because we don't live close to each other I hadn't seen Lisa in a while and I was completely blown away I had never seen her look so um not just thin but thin and healthy so I finally grabbed a a moment of her time in the reception and asked her what she'd been doing. And she said intermittent fasting. And in my head, I was just like, what? And I, and I just, I said, that's the most fasting, like no food. Forget it. That's not happening. Never again. So then I go off on my merry way for the next three years because I never forgot about it. And I started looking into it and then I started playing around with it, but I, um, I got hung up on don't take away the cream and sugar in my one cup of beloved coffee a day. And I was also confused by the expressions that people in the Facebook um, community used, trust the process, enjoy the journey. And I was like, what are these people even talking about? But in time, sticking with it and listening to people and reading, it starts to come together. And I didn't settle down to a proper way of fasting until July, this past July, July 23rd. And it made all the difference in the world that didn't eliminate every struggle, but I found I could do hard things, things that I just didn't seem to have the ability to do before. But again, through fasting, I have found I can do them now because a lot of them were emotional things. And I don't know what it is about fasting, but you come to see yourself in a different way. Um, I don't understand it. I just know it happens. Yeah. And yeah, I'm I better for it. I get it. I resonate with that because I think with fasting, you find that in a calm and in a peace. That's what I found. You know, and you just sort of think, wow, what's happening here? You know, you just all of a sudden you're at peace with yourself. You start believing in the process. And that's incredible. I mean, you went to your niece's wedding and you sat on it for three years, basically, but it was always there in the background. And then when you got going, and I had a similar reaction to you, actually, when I first heard about it, I thought, what sort of weirdos do that? Who eats once a day? Is this some sort of commune, you know? And, and that's the sort of thing I was thinking about. And I thought, no one does that. And then when I looked into it, it sort of made sense. And I thought, well, you know, I get home at five o'clock. I can just get out of my car and eat in a moment of time and, you know, and then fasting into the next day. It's, it seemed pretty simple to me. And that's what I liked about it. Was it the simplicity as well that you liked about it, that it was something that seemed easy to do and there was no cost attached and all that sort of thing? I loved the fact that nobody was trying to sell me anything. And I found as I got more adjusted, I really had a lot more free time. Um, 
and and the free time to do things I wanted to do also meant less time cleaning up from all the other meals that I no longer felt the need to eat because I do like to cook and I do make 90% of my meals. Um, it's just something I like to do. Yeah. But it just didn't happen me. overnight. Yeah. Just tell me when you started, let's strip it right back here, Catherine, you, you're giving us your stats here. You're so high weight you got up to that 250 you settled in that range around the 230 mark for quite some time and then you sort of felt some shame and embarrassment about your weight and I think we all do you know but we not we sort of get to that point sometimes where we think oh you know I don't know if I can do anything about it the mountain seems too high to climb and it starts piling up on us and that sort of thing but when you started IF where did you start what was your protocol why did you choose that and just maybe dig into a little bit about your eating window at the beginning. Were you delaying anything or was it all the things to start with? Well, when I started seriously with intermittent fasting, I weighed 221 pounds. And I decided I'll start off with the 16-8 routine. Um, and that worked for me. And gradually it went up to an 18-6 where I stayed for quite a while. I was very happy to stay there. And then all of a sudden, within the last couple of weeks, this this I find very surprising. All of a sudden, the six hour eating window was like uh, I could put too much food in there. Um, and so I went to 19.5 and I stayed there for a while. And now, surprisingly, I seem to be morphing closer to a 24, which I only did in the past if I had a very busy day. But now my body seems to like only having a four-hour window. So I'm just kind of going with it, knowing full well, if I'm hungry, I don't have to wait till the 20 hours, you know, and I prefer to stop eating at 4 p.m. So um, as you had referred to earlier about so much information, so much noise in the world, getting bogged down with who does this and that works for this person and that works for this person, find what works for you and keep it simple. For example, I like to close by 4 p.m. I prefer not to open before 10 so, but if I don't want to open till 11 or 12, that's fine too. Just make it easy. Just, that's that's my biggest piece of advice. Make it easy and maintain your clean fast. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Keep it simple. I mean, for me, it has to be simple because I'm a simple type of guy and I like simple things and I like simple processes. And that's what I loved about intermittent fasting, that it was simple. You're fasting for a period of time. You're feasting for a period of time. So right from the start, I got the message of the clean fast. Is that something you got straight away, the clean fast? Did you know about that or did that come later? I didn't know about it. Um, I don't I don't know what, I only like one cup of coffee a day. And I, I don't know why I dug in my heels about, you know, when I get up in the morning, I want to come sit on the computer mindlessly and have that cup of coffee. I think now it was just habit. But that took me the longest time because I did not want to give it up. And I think it wasn't until I finally realized it's not serving me to the best of all, all the other hard work that I was putting into it. Why are you letting this two teaspoons of sugar and a tablespoon, a half and half? Why, Catherine, are you letting that control your life? It doesn't make any sense. Have it when your window opens. You're not going to die if you have to wait three more hours. You'll be fine. 
Love it. But it took time. It. It, but it yeah. did take time. And it does take time sometimes for some people. Some things are hard to give up, aren't they? But I think, did yes. you notice any difference when you did give it up, like in terms of your fasting and, and did it make it easier or you just felt like it was, you know, getting towards those health benefits and that sort of thing and, and making life easier for you with this fasting lifestyle, just giving up that simple thing? I found the freedom in it, to be honest with you. Um, I One of the biggest realizations I just had the other day, and I, and I credit it to fasting, is... Um, and I think I've always known it, but I never wanted to bring it up to the surface of true realization. Um, I am literally terrified of food. Um, I, and, and it comes down to, um, is it bad for me? Am I going to eat too much of it? What, it, it? It really comes down to that I'm addicted to it. It controls me. And I don't like how I feel when I'm controlled by that, it, it, it makes me be a person that I'm not. And, and, I, and I've often said to people, you know, pick your poison, alcohol, drugs, sex, pornography, gambling, whatever, whatever it is, the behavior to all of these addictions is the same. The substances may be different, but the behavior is the same. And I don't like that feeling. I don't like it. It makes me hard on myself, makes me not be the person that I know is living inside of me because I feel ashamed of myself. Yeah, I agree with that. And addiction is addiction. And yeah, and in its truest form, whether you apply it to, as you said, you know, alcohol, drugs, gambling, you know, food addiction, my case, fast food addiction, sugar addiction. And it's a real curse on on us. And, you know, it's hard to deal with. You know, being afraid of food is pretty tough because we need food to sustain ourselves. But I think the longer we go with this lifestyle, we tend to gravitate towards that higher quality food. So just, I might have missed it, but when did you first start, Catherine? What was the date? Do you remember? Seriously, when I started with the clean fast and really putting everything that I learned into it was July 23rd. And that meant that uh, the last few weeks of weight loss has slowed down, but by October 23rd, I had lost 25 pounds. And because I carry most of my weight in my hips and thighs, I couldn't believe this. I, I measured like four times. In that three months, I lost seven inches off my hips. That's amazing. I'm wearing pants that are, you know, uh, two to three going into three sizes down. Um, I'm like in shock, but I'm amazed. Yeah. I have I'm wearing clothes that were in the closet that I couldn't button up that now feel good on me. Yeah, I mean that's a great start, isn't it? You know, and this it is, is what this podcast start. is themed about about your first sort of six seven months with an intermittent fasting lifestyle, and the fact that you've lost this twenty five pounds and seven inches off your hips. Wow, that's crazy. That is real. That's why I say to people, hey, take measurements, take pictures, because they tell a story, and they certainly do in your case. And I know, you know, when I look at you on the screen compared to when I first met you you can see such health and vitality jumping out on you. And I think that's really obvious in a lot of people that have started doing this in six to eight, 12 months in, 
but sort of when you started with your food choices and that sort of thing, and we talk about appetite correction, and you, you mentioned there that you're addicted to food. Have you found that your sort of appetite slowly being corrected? Yes, I have. Um, I'm finding now that I can, um, when I'm eating something, I know when I'm satisfied and I stop eating it. That's a whole new concept. I stop eating the food. I'm, I'm done. I've had enough. I've also decided to um, buy a subscription plan to um, uh, meat, chicken, pork, uh, seafood that comes to my house, higher quality. And I, I'm only cooking for myself, so I want the better quality food. Um, and... It's an portion? investment. Yeah, and good me? portion control too. I would have thought like they come prepackaged and meals and that sort of thing. And so, you know, worked out nutrition, all those sorts of things. And there's a lot of good meal services out there that bring that high quality fresh food. But I think it's something we gravitate towards over time, Catherine. I mean, we talk about the non-scale victories and the health benefits that come from IF. And you've probably seen a few of them already. I think you mentioned a couple to me before we started recording around your bloods and that sort of thing. Yes, the, the the lab work is uh, you can't refute that, you know, and it's 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 amazing the the, the changes that insulin level um, being slashed in half, and you know, like no doctor ever spoke to me of insulin resistance. I can remember going back at least ten years. You know, you leave the office, the doctor gives you a piece of paper, you go to the to the counter, and it said at the top of the pa paper, insulin resistant. Yet she never used those words with me when we were in the exam room. I didn't know what that was. And I remember thinking, but how could she even know that? She knew that by looking at my body type. But nobody ever talked about what are the health benefits from having hyperinsulinemia. If you bring that down, it could bring your blood pressure down. It certainly brings your blood sugar down. Um, it changes all your metabolic markers. And I want to live the remainder of my life healthy. I don't, I've already had three joint replacements that I needed to have. I know what it's like not to be able to walk, you know, 20 feet due to pain. I don't want to live that life. I want to live a life where I'm active to a level that I'm comfortable at and that I'm independent as I move forward into the last 20 to 30 years of my life. And I want to do that without a hundred extra pounds of weight on my body because all I've been doing is hiding myself by packing on that weight. Mm. That's it, It's a protective mechanism. Yeah. And I don't want, I don't want it anymore. You know, one of the things I like to ask my guests, Catherine, I mean, you got to that high weight around 250 and then when you started, you were down a bit, but you know, when you drilled down into it, you look back, I mean, you had some trauma in your life and that sort of thing and some upset and stress, as you mentioned there in the bio, and that can lead to a weight gain, of course. And I can really understand and resonate what you were saying about that mechanism of, of hiding it with the weight and that sort of thing. But 
Just tell us about that, your earlier life and sort of issues that you had with weight. Did it creep up on you really quickly or was it a steady sort of progression over a long period of time? No, what happened to me was I married a man that I really loved and we had two babies in two years and I thought we had the perfect family. And then one day I found out we didn't have the perfect family. And shortly after that, the perfect family was gone. And to be honest, this is 31 years later, and I haven't gotten over it. And, I, and I'm, I'm almost ashamed to say that, but I haven't. Um, and that's when the weight started to come on, because now I was, um, life was different. I had to work third shift. I had to work um and a unit in a hospital I didn't want to work in I, I was never meant to be a single parent um that's not what I signed up for so that so the weight just kept piling on because food was my comfort and I'm ashamed to say because like I said I'm 65 years old but this has been going on for 30 years which is why I'm hoping that when I do this podcast with you. I know I'm not the only person in the world that feels like this. So I, I don't want people to have to wait 30 years. You know, I, I want them to address their issues and, 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 you know, for us to come to see that we, we deserve happiness, whether. hundred percent, Catherine, I couldn't agree more. We do deserve happiness. And I really love what you said is don't wait. Just start and take your life back. And I live with that regret quite a bit about why didn't I start this earlier about retaking my health in some form and sticking to it. But the problem was I couldn't find something that I could stick to because I would start things. I'd lose a bit of weight. I'd think, oh, wow, this is really good. I'd be hopeful and all the rest of it. And all of a sudden, I'd get sick of it. I was sick of eating cabbage soup. I was sick of eating all these different things. I was sick of the really tight restrictions. I was sick of the regiment and I thought, wow, I just can't do this. It wasn't sustainable. And then you stop, you revert back to your old ways and the way you're going in. The weight goes up and you're back to square one. But with intermittent fasting, for me, after a few months, I said to myself, this is very different. This is very different to anything I've ever done. And I think I can stick with this and I think I can make it a sustainable lifestyle. And for me, it was a lifestyle change. It was getting away from that sugar and fast food addiction. So did you feel like it was more of a lifestyle change for you or do you feel like that way now that you're, it was a lifestyle change rather than just another diet? I find now that it it is a lifestyle change. Um, I think those three years that I had to sniff around, I needed to do that for me because of the kind of person I am. But now I really don't think about it. You know, like I said, I like to cook at home. So I know I have food in the house to prepare. I know I want to close at four. I don't want to open before 10. It keeps it simple. Um, it, it, it's simpler for me now I'm, than it was when in July. And I never thought I'd get to this level of peace with intermittent fasting in such a short period of time when I finally just did it the way that it's supposed to be done. I've tortured myself for three years. You know, if, if you just say, this is how it's done, the clean fast, you pick the time that your window is open or your windows close. Play around with it. That's the fun of it. Um, 
but maintain your clean fast and don't fight it. Just, yeah. it, it just becomes natural. Yeah. Is that your medical background, do you think, in your nursing career that made you so analytical and you delved into it for so long and went down every rabbit hole you could? Do you think that was a, a sort of byproduct of your career in, in medical field? Yes, I do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because when I'm when I'm listening to podcasts and then they talk about these scientists and then I look them up on YouTube, I'm like hanging on their every word um, because I'm following what they're saying. And I have I, I like science and I probably should have been like a researcher, not a nurse. That was probably the worst thing I could have ever have done. Um, but my mind likes to see the data. I like the information. Um, I get excited where some people would be like, that's the most boring thing in the world. Not to me, it isn't. And I, and the more information I gain, the better I understand it. And it makes it easier for me to be like, you know, you're at hour 19. Hey, you know, your autophagy is kicking in. Gee, I wonder what it's doing. I wonder, you know, where it's working. But absolutely, my nursing background um, had me going down all the little rabbit holes and loving it. Yeah, you mentioned there that some things really resonate with you when you wrote them down, that sort of thing, when we were talking off screen there. And I find it, I do that as well. All of a sudden I'll hear something and it will click with me and I'll go, right, I'm going to go and look in that and delve into it a bit further. So just tell us some of the research sort of side of things that you've looked into that really resonated with you and sort of set the light bulbs off. Where did you find that? Well, you can just start by um, just I Google everything. Um, if it's a person, I hear a name or I hear a book you know, I'll look it up. Uh, a lot of books I'll get from the library. And um, I'm just, you know, just Googling the intermittent fasting. But keep in mind with the clean fast, because there's a lot of information out there. But, you know, you hear, well, I'd never heard the term autophagy. I was like, what the heck is that? So I wrote it down. And then I looked it up. And then I could see where it would fit into it and the benefits of it. And I was like, well, who knew that your body even did this? We didn't know that until 2016, right? Until that, um, uh, I forget his name, but he he won the um, Pulitzer Prize for, for discovering autophagy. Um, so then I Googled that and then I learned all about that. And then one article will spawn off something else. And, and, I just think when you start doing it yourself and you start seeing those results and changes in your body, when you start seeing, hey, you know what? I used to say, oh, if only I could just pull up these pants, but I didn't have to do this stupid side dance to get into them. And guess what? Three months down the road, you're pulling up those pants and you're not dancing to get into them. And it's like, it's, it's real. It's paying off it's free, it's easy. I I just, I'm amazed. I'm just amazed. Yeah, what's not to love, you know, and the pants exactly. are dancing all the way down the road to the charity shops each size you go down. In your <laughs> case, you've gone down two or three sizes there. And I think that's yeah. a very freeing thing. And something I often talk about, because I think that's really important about how we feel in our clothes. 
And as we go down in size, I really urge people, once those clothes start getting baggy on you, get rid of them, take them down to the charity shops, donate them, get them out of the house. Don't hold on to them. Don't put them in the wardrobe and say, oh, you know, I better hold on to them just in case. Because we've all done that in previous sort of diets and that sort of thing, haven't we? And we've ended up with four or five different sizes in our wardrobe. And it's just ridiculous. So, yeah, I really urge people to do that. But, you know, we, we talk about mindset a lot, Catherine, when it comes to fasting. And for me, the mindset and the mental part is so much. I think it's almost 95% of this because the rest is fairly simple in terms of the, the application, but the mental side of it can be challenging. Have you found that the mindset, and I know you do the vision boards, and I want to talk to you a bit about that later, but mindset for you. Yeah, um, I, I have to confess that I'm struggling now that it was Thanksgiving in December. This is a very hard time of year for me. And if and I, I'm thinking if I can make it through to December 26th and see that I have just maintained, I'd be over the moon. Um, yeah, I think that's that would be it, fantastic. And, you know, I think we all aim for that, don't we? And sort of think, you know, vacations, holidays. I know particularly the first time you're coming into this Thanksgiving, you know, Christmas period, you've had Halloween there and that sort of thing. And it seems like a, a never ending sort of roll of events and then catch ups with families. And, and in your case, you, you had that upset with the breakup and that sort of thing. So it's something that's sort of challenging at this time of the year with the family and that sort of thing. I know. I lost my dad on Christmas Day in 2013. This year will be 10-year anniversary of his death. And so Christmas Day for me is quite challenging. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot of other things that go on, isn't there, around sort of how we have that mental aspect and how we sort of can get tied up, and particularly in the holiday season, because there's so much going on. And you don't want to, when you first come to it, your first year, your mindset is, oh man, I've got all this holiday season. I don't want to undo everything. But I'm here to tell you, you won't undo everything because you can just go right back to what you were doing, get back into the rhythm and you'll be okay. And I think you have a great mindset about, you know, if I can just maintain to December 26th, great. Yeah, I mean, that would be great. And if I lost a few, then that would be even better. But, um, you know, it's 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 the time of year and, you know, we just have to do do the best we can do. That's all. Yeah. And then like that that's it. I mean, there's no sense getting all uh, you know, wired up about it because we know what we have to do and we just need to do it. Yeah, I think sometimes and I mentioned in the Patreon um sort of audio series that we did about the holiday season and three most powerful words we have are no thank you. And yeah. we just need to apply that and sort of put our big pants on sometimes and for me, it's about picking my events and picking the people that I'm celebrating with because I want to celebrate with the people that mean the most to me. So when it comes to just getting an ad hoc invitation from somebody I might see once a year, then that's not as important to me as somebody I see regularly or has been a big cheerleader in my corner right throughout my journey. They're the people that I want to celebrate with. So it's picking the battles for me. And it's the same with food. Like if I was to go to a friend's place for an event this time of the year, then I likely take a plate of food that I like because I know that if there's not window-worthy food, as I call it there, at least what I take, I've got something to eat and I don't get cornered into having something I don't want. 
So, I mean, in your case, you've, you've ordered that meal service. So you're controlling the controllables, if you like, and you're taking the, the purchasing decision out of going to the supermarket and then being tempted to buy those other sort of foods that were causing you a bit of trouble. So obviously your shopping's changed quite a lot too since you started. Well, actually, I don't have a meal service. What I what I have is strictly uh, it's the butcher box subscription. It's it's the meat. Um, it's the higher quality meat and fish. I still go to the store because I like to check, you know, uh, pick out my own produce. But I'm very selective when I go there. Uh, so I go every couple of days. But I've eliminated, like you said, shop the perimeter of the store. That's what I do. I'll run up an aisle if I need like tomato sauce or something. Um, but I'm like a chef for one. But I, I don't eat a lot of uh, packaged food. I don't I, I don't eat a lot of low quality food anymore. Yeah. And, and prior to IF, was that something you were doing? Low quality food, packaged food? Was that something you were into then? I, I, to be honest with you, I probably shoved in my face whatever I wanted to shove in my face. Um, I probably didn't give much thought to it unless somebody was coming over or I was cooking for somebody. Uh, but now I'll sit down and I'll make the whole, you know, three course meal for myself. It's simple. It's not, you know, um, you know, uh, gourmet chef stuff, but I'm no longer eating from the moment I wake up until the time I go to bed I caught myself doing that Graham and I was horrified because I was like Catherine you've been eating for 12 hours mindlessly needlessly because it gave you a sense of comfort but it didn't really give you the comfort so I don't do that anymore yeah there are foods that you were sort of thought at the time that you were loving, but they simply weren't loving you back. And I think that's the difference Absolutely. for me now in an intermittent fasting lifestyle is eating food that loves me back. And then I'm not eating food that doesn't serve me because I spent years doing that. Like you, mindless eating, waking up in the morning. My first thought was food. You know, most normal people think of pleasurable things when they wake up. I used to think mm. about food and I'm jump out and I'm going to the kitchen I'll get some toast, you know, if there's some ham in the fridge, happy days, ham on toast, you know, and then it'd be orange juice, then it'd be something else and something else. So get in the car, drive to work, stop at the drive through, happy days again, toasted sandwiches, coffees. It was nonstop. And I'd get to work and I'd sit in my office, I'd have stuff at my desk all day, every day. And I think it really does rewire the way that we not only think about food and consume food, but the time we consume food. And for me, I think intermittent fasting, the timing of when we take that food intake is super important. Just give it our organs a rest from that digestion and I just feel so much better. And, and did you get to the point when you started and you just thought, wow, I'm actually feeling pretty good here? I absolutely did. And the other thing that I forgot to mention to you is that I have participated in the Zoe study. Again, it's the science. And I have a list of what foods don't work for my body. And that was surprising to find out that, yeah, well, I was eating a lot of those foods. Um, so that really helped me to be able to visually see what foods are going to serve me better and what foods, even if I like them, they're not going to serve me better. And I combined that with um, wearing a continuous glucose monitor 
again, I'm not diabetic. I want the data. And let me tell you, the most shocking thing is this is the second month I've been wearing it. When I'm doing the clean fast and going along in my little window, doing nice, 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 my blood sugars are in the 60s and the 70s. And after I eat a meal of whatever meal I choose to eat, even if I want to have dessert, my blood sugar may go up to, you know, uh, just under 110. That's amazing because those blood sugars are pretty low. I also find you were talking about the timing of food. I find if I have my three-hour window, four-hour window, and I want to have a dessert, but I, I want the dessert to be like ice cream or or cake or something not you know fruit yogurt thing that i make if i eat that dessert at the end of my meal my blood sugar does not spike were i to have that piece of cake say at one o'clock in the afternoon just because it was sitting on the counter and i wanted some my blood sugar would go completely through the roof so what i'm seeing is it is the timing of foods that we're eating it is the combination of foods. I have learned that combining, like say for snack, a carb with a protein will totally blunt the glucose. For instance, I had an apple alone. The apple showed that was horrible for my body. The next day I had apple and cheese, it scored 100%. Wow. It's amazing. The science is amazing. That and is this wild. information needs to get out to people. Yeah, just for people sitting around the world listening to that, just explain a bit more about the Zoe study and what it's about and how long that process is. I mean, you just touched on some of the benefits from it, what you found from it. And I find it really interesting that we, we get to that point where we understand what our trigger foods are. I didn't use a CGM. What I used was a scale. So I was able to stand on the scale and look at it. And on the days that my weight would spike, I'd simply dial back and look at what I was eating and drinking the day before. And that's how I learned what my trigger foods were. And on the days that my weight went down, I'd do the same process. So I ended up with this list of what I call the approved foods and the foods that were my trigger foods that were causing my weight gain. And there was some very surprising things in there and things that I thought wouldn't. And just what you found out with the CGM. So just explain a bit more about what Zoe is. Well, Zoe is a, they have an excellent free podcast. It's for science and nutrition, the latest information on it. And they have this uh, program that you could purchase and it, 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 they'll send you some muffins to determine like carbohydrate concentration, fat concentration, but you send in this stool sample as well. And I don't know how they do this, but it comes back with this whole list of uh, foods that are gut suppressors, uh, foods that are good for your gut. And they're all the categories of food and they're rated, you know, uh, green is good, yellow is so-so, red is terrible, and they'll offer you solutions. And the surprising thing about these foods is foods that you may eat all the time and have never bothered you are scoring awful on the test. And 
when you stop and think about it, like, like, you know, for him, like me, for ham, ham is like the worst thing I can eat. And I had something the other, and I'm like, well, how could that be? I eat it all the time. I've eaten it my whole life. So I had some the other day alone. I figured it's a protein, right? It's got some fat in it. And then I checked my blood sugar and it shot up so high. And this was ham. So I have found by doing that study, what foods that my mouth may like, but are so bad for my body. And then what are they doing in your body? Um, they could be doing things to add to your high blood pressure. So why don't you stick to the foods that are better for you? Your body's gonna handle that better. Is that going to change your biomarkers? That's that's where I'm at with my blood work. I, I did these studies. I had my test baselines done. I've gone another three or four months. I'm going to get more blood work done. So I will have more information next week about how has my last three to four months of intermittent fasting, doing it the proper way, I will have the data in front of me to show the improvement. Yeah. And then I won't need the little, you know, couple of month studies that I signed up for because I'll have my information. But that's how my mind works. You know, I like that kind of stuff. And then when I understand what it's doing for me, I'm more apt to be relaxed about it and to continue it in in my life yeah i think that's great i think it's understanding and for me it's it was simple about learning about nutrition learning about what those nutrition labels actually said and then as a sugar addict i had to find out well, what sugar is and what food and all that and i remember spending two hours in the supermarket just standing there looking at every packet i could look at and then deciphering and you mentioned google earlier i'd simply get on there and say sugar content of tomato sauce or sugar content of baked beans and it blew my mind and i was eating baked beans like no tomorrow but they were so high in sugar it wasn't funny and if i was a sugar addict it was simply i had to get them out of my life even though i loved them and it's not something i miss because now i say to myself well man the content of that sugar in that was just it was wrecking my life it was just causing me to be obese and i was eating a lot of it you know bananas was another one it was you know it's fruit i know natural sugars and all that but fruit was driving my sugar addiction. And I was eating a lot of fruit when I was obese. Two, three, four bananas a day, oranges, apples, you name it. I thought, hey, you know, eat six fruits all the time. I was at the burger joint getting all the wrong foods. But I thought if I ate some fruit, somehow that was going to, you know, make up for it. But it didn't because all it did was drive my sugar cravings even worse. And then when I sort of cut right back on the fruit, trying to get rid of the sugar, I found it made it a lot easier. And I don't eat a lot of fruit now. I still eat some, and I know it's important for a lot of people, and I, I don't want to pe put people off eating fruit. But I think if you've got sugar issues, it's something certainly to look at. But, you know, now you you sort of feel like you're in control a bit more. You can see hope for the future, and that's what I think intermittent fasting brings to it, it hope for the future and that you can make it into a sustainable lifestyle. So how far off do you think you've got to go weight-wise? And obviously there's no rush. We're in a lifestyle now, but... Are you sort of thinking about, you know, long-term about how you're going to handle it? Yes. And, and what I've come up with is I can remember 
uh, being a size uh, pants, a size 12. And because I'm not a thin woman, I'm I have like a gymnast kind of body, you know. I'm not that willowy little bird woman. I'll never be a size two, in other words. And I can remember looking back to where my pants were a size 12, and I was probably a good weight and looked good. Um, now I'm in a 16, and I can't even believe it. That doesn't make any sense to me because my weight is so much higher than what it was at a size 12. But I think uh, on my vision board, I have a goal of 135 to 140. And I'm thinking I might bring that around to 130. But again, I'm going to see what does 140 look like. I don't know. It's been half a lifetime since I've seen those numbers. You know, I don't know what I would look like. Um but if I was judging on the numbers that I am, like this morning, I was 196, I would say, eh, you probably need to lose another 60 pounds. And that's probably right. But with body recomposition and how much that's already happened, I I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I, I I'd like to wear... I'd like to wear a medium shirt and I'd like to wear a large pants or a 10 to 12 if they were not pull on pants. Yeah. And I think they're great goals to have and visualization is important. And we're going to get into that now because you're very well known for your vision boards. And firstly, I want to get you to explain what a vision board is, why you did that and what it does for you. Because I know when I see what you produced in the post and then I look at them and I think wow that's incredible that is a real visual mindset of actually laying things out so just talk about that your vision boards why you did it and exactly what a vision board is to you well what I did is I put up a, a bulletin board that's probably two by three foot in size and I had written down the list of things, comments that people had made, uh, such as yourself, um, um, consistency, not perfection. Uh, Karen Cahill said the other day, I have power over food. Food does not have power over me. And all these various statements, that's one sheet that I made the list of. Another sheet is my whys. Why am I doing this? Then, of course, I have my medical stuff up there that I see. And then I have cards. I saw a card in the store. It was a picture of Wonder Woman. And it said, you are amazing. And I thought, that's inspirational. So I paid 50 cents for my card and I stuck it on my bulletin board. Um, other cards that I've seen or been sent that have caught my eye traveling, I put that up there. Um, I, I put up my walking charts, which now I'm on my third 100 mile walking challenge. I started at the beginning of October and I finished that, it's got a hundred stickers on it. Then I did page two, hundred stickers on page two. I put all that up around my vision board because sometimes I go over to it and I want to reread what I wrote. But here's the most important takeaway from it. 
every time you walk into that room, you do not have to go over to that board. Your mind already knows what's on that board and it's taking it in, it's cementing it in your mind. And I was thinking of it today, you know, to give people a better visual of it. If you walk into your kitchen and your kitchen is a complete disaster, but you know what you're going into your kitchen for. You're going into that drawer or you're going to go look in, you know, you're looking for that piece of paper that's hanging on the refrigerator because you know it's there. But when you walk through that kitchen, your mind is ticking away all that disaster that it sees. The vision board is the same thing, but it's positive. It's powerful. It's there. You're, it's in my room because I watch TV in my room at night. When I'm laying in bed watching TV, well, out of the corner of my eye, I see there's my vision board. I know what's on my vision board. And it's constantly reaffirming it into your brain. But your brain doesn't realize it. Love it. Absolutely love it. It's you know, the whys are so powerful when you actually see them all the time. And I, when I mentor people, I talk about this, and I've talked about it in the Patreon community, writing your whys down on a small card, like a business card, and carrying them with you. And particularly when you're going to the supermarket and you reach for those decisions that may not serve you that great, it's really good just to pull out that card and look at why am I doing this, like you just talked about. Why am I fasting 18, 20, 22 hours, 24 hours? I'm doing 80, 42 hours. Why am I making the effort to do that and then undoing it by these things that are not serving me when it comes to food? And I look at food now like toxic people, right? I don't like toxic people in my life. I don't surround myself with toxic people. I get them out of my life. I don't have anything to do with them. And it's the same with food now. Toxic food has no place in my life. And if I classify a food as toxic, then I don't eat it. And it was really interesting. I talked about it yesterday in the Patreon meeting that, you know, there was a study here in Australia that said that 87% of the food on our supermarket shelves isn't fit for human consumption. And I thought, wow, that's pretty crazy. But when you look at the ingredients and the chemicals that are in a lot of food, they're right. And this is what's causing our society a problem. And that's why the perimeter shopping that we talk about is so powerful. And it really does change the way that you eat and that sort of thing. And not so much packaged food anymore. And I'm the same. But it takes time and it's a process, isn't it, Catherine? It's not something we're going to learn overnight. And for you, it took, you know, a couple of three years to really delve into it and to get enough information and confidence to actually give it a go. That's absolutely right. And um, one of the things talking about, you know, pulling out the card out of your pocket, what's even simpler, because I'm all about simple, go get yourself a little packet of post-it notes, a dollar, I think they are. Leave it in the car with a pen. When you're going to go in the store, write down, I'm fasting, write down 20, you know, however many hours you're at, write down whatever you want to do. And then you take that little post-it note, and here's the greatest thing about it. It just sticks right onto the handle of your shopping cart. So as you're going through the store and you're looking at all the displays and, oh, yeah, I love those cookies and stuff, you got your little post-it note right there between your two hands reminding you whatever is your goal. 
the weight you're looking to, the hours you fasted, you know what I mean? It's, you don't even have to pull it out of your pocket. You just walk into the store with it in your hand. It's visual and you stick it on that cart um, to break that impulse because boy, do I know the impulse. Yeah, it's a circuit breaker. That's what it is. And that's what I refer to, having that circuit breaker between the thought process, actually grabbing something that's not going to serve you in the supermarket, sticking it in your shopping cart or your shopping trolley and taking it home. It's that disconnection and looking at those whys and going, you know what, I don't need this in my life. I really don't. I don't need it. Because as I keep saying all the time, I eat what makes me feel my greatest, not what my mind wants. Because if I went to the supermarket and I said, okay, mind, you take control here. You get whatever you want in the supermarket. I would come out with a load of rubbish in my shopping cart. Yeah. If I let my mind dictate that. But if I say to myself, okay, Graham, I'm going in here to get what makes me feel my greatest, then it's a different mindset altogether. You come out with what you need to make you feel great. You know, and, and, and we can do it. People say to me, oh, I can't change. I can't stop. I have no off button. Well, I had no off button, but I stopped. You, you were the same. You were... Food was controlling you so much and now it's not. So we can change and it doesn't matter what stage of our life we're at. I mean, you're 65 and I know what your results are going to say in a couple of weeks. They're going to say, Catherine, you're aging backwards because you don't look anything like 65. And that's what always really blows my mind when I see people on the screen and I'm talking to right now, like you, I go, this lady doesn't look 65. It's nuts. Like you look like a lady maybe in your mid to late fifties. And so you're, you're going backwards and, do you feel like you're sort of aging backwards? I mean, you're out now walking a lot and obviously the joint replacements helped a lot with that, but it's just so freeing not to have that weight on your body when you walk, isn't it? I can feel myself getting stronger. And the reason I started at the beginning of October is because I live in the South of the United States and it's, it's the humidity is ridiculous. I can't even stand step out there. So I've got a six month stretch that I can walk and I like to walk. It's relaxing. It's freeing. It doesn't cost anything except some good shoes. And I was thinking today how now I'm starting to feel different muscles that are getting stronger. And that's good, you know, to protect the hips, to protect your balance, um, your core strength all the things that we need to be aware of as we get older. So, you know, we don't uh, trip, break a hip, and now guess what? That's going to be our slow demise. I, I've seen that a lot, and I I want to do what I can to not have that happen to me because it's pretty sad. Yeah, you break a hip past 65, they say it's very problematic, as you well know, <clears throat> working in the medical field, you know, that can be a, a real challenge for people. But Catherine, I can't tell you how inspiring you've been today. You're just awesome. You really are. And I love the mindset that you have. And it's been a really great insight into living the journey six months in. And I think I'm, I'm really going to be fantastic to come back and talk to you again in six to 12 months time. But just before we go, if there's people sitting out there that are sort of coming up to that Christmas period and they're thinking, I don't want to go through another year of this, you know, I don't want to carry all this weight, just give them some hope and also some tips that you would have just to start. Maybe, you know, it's tricky this time of year, but for me, I would just say to people, just start tomorrow. You can always get back on 
if you do have an off day on Christmas or whatever it may be. And it's not an off day. It's just celebrating with friends and family. We're not here to beat ourselves up. We're not in boot camp. But just some words of wisdom and advice to help people get started would be great. I would say do not bite off more than you can chew initially. You can do anything for two to three days, but that's not going to sustain you. Start off slow. Start off with a 12-hour eating window and a 12-hour fasting window. If that's easy for you, move it up an hour at a time. If that's difficult for you, stay there until you can move it up because you will be able to move it up. We are not looking for perfection. We're looking for progress. And the days are going to go by. We can have our days go by with us getting fatter and unhealthier and more miserable and less mobile. Or we can start to change that. Yeah. That's my advice. Fantastic advice it is. And just be patient and give it time and give it all the time it needs because we have all the time in the world with a lifestyle change. But Catherine, as I said, look forward to talking to you in another six to 12 months. Keep inspiring people. Keep putting up those vision boards because I think they're immensely powerful. But thank you for joining me here on the Fasting Highway. Thank you so much. Okay, take care, Catherine. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, Graham. Oh, thank you so much, Catherine. What a wonderful insight into your journey so far. I really look forward to catching up with you in another 6 to 12 months to see where you are. And thank you for giving us that insight around that mindset you have, and particularly those vision boards that you've created. What a magnificent thing that is, and I really think that's something we can all probably do, as visualisation is so powerful. Anyway, folks, as you heard, the podcast is now brought to you by our Patreon members. Without the support of our Patreon members, we simply couldn't bring this podcast to you each and every week. If you'd like to get some extra accountability for your intermittent fasting lifestyle, you can do that by going to the link at www.patreon.com forward slash the fasting highway. There's extra bonus podcasts, bonus discussion topics. Also two accountability meetings each month by Zoom hosted by myself in both the Northern and Southern Hemisphere to help you get along on your intermittent fasting lifestyle journey and come and talk to some like-minded people from all over the world. Okay, folks, until next week, be well, be safe, and remember, clean fasting is everlasting.